Hey everybody, I'm excited to have Chris here. He is the founder of Dooley. We are going to be talking about product-led sales in this episode. A uh, really hot topic. How's it going, Chris? How are things with you? Going really good. How are you doing, Ramalini? I'm doing pretty all right. I can't complain. It's it's summer. It's getting warm. I hope yeah. all is well there in Vancouver. Everything seems to be okay. Lots of uh, weirdness, obviously, in the downtown core with people wearing face masks and whatnot, but weird will soon become normal. That's true. Actually, before we talk about product-led sales, can you share a little bit of your story? How you know, I looked at your, your profile on LinkedIn, you started off in sales and now you became the founder of Dooley. How did that progression happen? Yeah, um, so I've been in sales my entire career pretty accidentally. I always wanted to be an advertising executive, uh, not quite like the Mad Men style, but <laughs> wanted to get into the creative side. And through that process, I ended up in sales somehow and I, I was always in love with tech. So my first gig was in tech and that led to my next gig in tech where I worked for a multi-billion dollar hardware company. Then I got into software, started my own thing, went to a company, took it from zero to a hundred million in revenue. That was a company called Vision Critical, which was pretty enterprising. Yeah. And then uh, toward the middle of my career there, I was not just hitting quota, I was annihilating my quota. We were easily triple our number in most years. And when you're that guy, nobody ever says, hey, uh, congrats on bringing in the NFL and Condé Nast and that, and But I'm just curious if you updated the CRM. <laughs> nobody ever, ever asks you that. So when I started running teams, they started to see the inherent challenges of not having access to what was going on in their deals. And it's not like people weren't capturing the information. They just weren't distributing it very well. So when I left Vision Critical, after nine years, I went and consulted. And I saw the same problems everywhere. Everybody was doing the exact same things where you'd be looking for information on a deal. You ended up in a, in a boardroom whiteboarding it or you know sitting down and asking people for access to their notes or whatever. So that was sort of that aha moment for me that mm. it wasn't just me being a horrible complier of <laughs> CRM. Uh, it was everybody. And so we started experimenting and we played around for a little bit with different ideas of how we could remove administrative work from a salesperson's day and settled on something that uh, became Dooley, which was one of those other eureka moments. Cause as I was starting the business, uh, we'd been living in Australia for a while. And, and when mm. I came back, my niece became my nanny for my third child who was born overseas. And I came back with this colloquial expression from Australia, Holy Dooley mate. And I would say it all the time, holy dooly, because my sales guy down there would say holy dooly all the time. And my niece goes to me one day, you say holy dooly all the time, Uncle Chris. And I said, yeah, duly noted. Oh. There you go. You now have a bit of inside scoop as to where the name came from. That's so good. Holy dooly. I'm going to start using Holy dooly basically means holy shit, but it's a much more polite <laughs> way of saying it. That's even better. You know, yeah. I, I can say it in front of my parents and they yeah. wouldn't... Uh, Got to do with the Aussie it. accent though. Holy dooly, Mike. It's, <laughs> it's, it's much more pronounced. Holy... I can't... I, I'm, my Australian accent is not that great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to, we're going to get you working on it. I know you're starting to allude to it already, but, you know, if for the listeners, and you're you're already getting to it, what's dooly? And, you know, if you can wrap it up in like a, a sentence or two. Yeah. Yeah. If you're an individual contributor in a sales organization or customer success... We make administrative work insanely easy for you. At the core of that, for most of our customers, it's CRM and updating Salesforce. 
and we take something that would take you 15 minutes and we compress it down to 30 seconds. So it's a, a massive time saver, which becomes a massive painkiller mm. for reps because a rep inherently wants to perform and do their job, which is selling or you know retaining customers or whatever their role is in the, in the revenue stream. When you ask them to do things that take them away from that, you're literally saying to the salesperson, I need you to stop mm. earning your paycheck right now. I know your paycheck is predicated on your performance, but I need you to stop for a second and tell me what you're doing. Nobody in their right mind would give you more than the bare basics in order to uh, placate management if it meant that it was going to be a sacrifice to their paycheck. So the whole idea is insanely simple updates and distribution of information from the conversations you're having with your customers to everywhere in the business. Mm. That's so good. That totally, totally makes sense if you put it that way. I want to jump and talk about product-led growth. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks say that product-led growth and enterprise sales are like oil and water. They don't really mix. But, you know, mm-hmm. looking at your interviews, I think you view that differently. You know, how do you see product-led growth like fueling and helping enterprise sales actually scale? Yeah. So I, I think that there's two ways you can look at PLG. You can look at it as like a complete end-to-end uh, chain for conversion to paid. Or you can look at it as a distribution engine. And for us, I see PLG very much as a distribution engine. When people find our product, they fall in love with our product. When they fall in love with our product, they tell other people about our product. When Mm. they tell other people about our product, those people tell other people about our product. When they quit their job, they take it to the next company and more people learn about our product. But those people are likely not going to pay for our product. Sometimes people will pay for it individually, but because there are network effects inherent Mm. in the product, it's more than likely that somebody more senior than them or in a different role than them is going to pay for the product. So what I like to say is we have a PLG engine, but we still have a B2B or an enterprise component to that, uh, that conversion moment. And so PLG to B2B is, is how I've typically worded it. The bigger the deals get, it gets more enterprisey. obviously. I don't believe that they're mutually exclusive mm. in our particular world. Some cases, like if you have a product like Calendly and the rep looks at it and goes, oh, this is beautiful. I just want to have this for myself. It saves me so much time. I'm going to pay the five or 10 bucks a month to give myself different calendaring options. Beauty. Awesome. It doesn't always work quite like that. Mm. And I, I think that kind of leads to something that I saw another podcast interview with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mentioned that you called, you, I think you called it product-led sales. Is this what you call product-led sales? Like how would you define product-led yeah. sales? So uh, what we look for is every time a new user starts using the product, we look for key moments of truth, right? Mm. Product-led growth, I think everybody that's listening to this podcast knows basically what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to placate a user pain, an end user's pain, and get them to fall in love with the product and then try to, to gate them up into different uh, components in the product that will get them into a paid usage. So what happens in our world is an end user will go through these moments of truth, right? The very basic thing that happens, it's almost like a, an endorphin rush is the first time you hit sync with, a, with our product. It does like five things and it updates Salesforce and pushes your notes and activities and all that stuff across, which is way easier than copy and paste from Evernote or whatever the heck you're using. We call that product qualified lead. And so one PQL with an organization means that an individual is hoarding the product. They're not sharing it with other people. Mm. They're not, they're not the mechanism for change within their organization. 
they see the inherent value to themselves, but they haven't quite caught onto the network effect. When you start to see it jump the tracks, though, and you start to see more and more people within an organization using it, it's likely that that person said, guess what? I need my sales engineer to have this. I need my customer success team to have this, my SDR to have this. I want my manager to have this. I want my whole team to have this. And so we're kind of in the business of making people into a bit of a hero within their organization because if they do it right and they tell other people, they're going to get the recognition for that. It's pretty cool for them. But when we get to five-ish product qualified leads within an organization, we call that a PQO, product qualified opportunity. Mm, Interesting. And that's a moment when we have a really, really high conversion rate to paid. How did you get to that five? Is it, you know, just trial and error? Like you found that, you know, four P, uh, product qualified leads or three is not enough. It, it's really five that really tips it over. It's just a stickiness factor, right? You, right. Can, you can have pockets within an organization where you people don't really know each other and multiple people can be using the product but they don't have collisions with each other. At five, you're typically seeing collisions. Mm. Um, and so it's those collisions that create network effects. And those network effects start to create incremental value in what you're selling. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's an arbitrary number to a certain degree. We'll see some places where two or three is the right number, but five overall, give or take, that's that's kind of the sweet spot for us. Interesting. I'm curious what it looks like. So is there some kind of automated things that happen after like a certain organization has for for product qualified leads, do your sales rep get notified? Like how, how does that automation piece work? Yeah, it's, I mean, we're still a young-ish, so some of it's pretty much automated, but there's still work to do on that, I would say. But yeah, there's a monitoring system in the background that looks at, uh, I mean, we look at cohorts and we look at uh, how quick things are moving mm. and we just get to that moment of inflection where we see uh, five different users within an organization that are doing this, the behaviors that we want to see. You have five people that sign up and do the wrong things all the time, and we know that that's going to lead to churn. But yeah, so we'll get a, a notification through our analytics when those key milestones get hit, which activates the salesperson. Mm. Now, there are some other things that happen within what we do that I think are really important. So you more than likely know superhuman. Superhuman is a way to simplify your inbox, right? And we're mm. a way to simplify your sales administrative work. What we do at the beginning of the experience that a new company has with us is we try to concierge onboard people just Mm. like superhuman would, right? Because they know that by doing so, their tech support load goes down, their churn goes down. And so we try to do those same two things. And the other thing that happens is their conversion goes up. Now, superhuman makes you pay up front. We don't. That would be, I think, the only major difference there. So when we get new people into the product, we do white glove them and make sure that they've had a really good experience. Again, with the understanding that by doing so, they're probably going to use some of the more advanced features because they'll have discovered them with a little bit of prompting. Um, And you want people to discover them on their own as well, but with a little bit of prompting, they're going to understand the value to their business. The other side of this, and this is why we get sales involved relatively early uh, and customer success involved relatively early. As soon as you start talking to those reps, they are an open book to the pain of the organization. Mm. So when you go and you, you flip from the product qualified side to more of a traditional sales process, the minute you start talking to the sales manager, guess what? You know all the problems of his team or her team. And that makes a massive difference because now you're relatable and you're not making stuff up. It's not third-party ideas right. of, oh, this might solve these problems for you. 
I know that John and Mary and Susan and Miguel on your team all have these problems. They told me that they have these problems. You can verify that they have these problems and we're solving them for them. That's really fascinating. This first time I've heard this uh, organization talk about it this way. I'm curious what happens next. So let's say a product qualified opportunity comes through. Mm. What's the next step for the sales team? Do they reach out to the most most senior product qualified lead or do they reach out to the VP? Like I'm guessing it depends, but I'm really curious what next. Yeah. So more often than not, because the salespeople don't want to lose the superpowers that they gain in the in the team's right. edition or whatever, like you've got your, everybody's got a basic edition, right? And the basic edition is like a weakened version of of the next edition up. You can get value out of it, but you're not right. going to get all the value out of it. So if there are superpowers that you have in your product that people get a lot of value out of, particularly in sales, sales are they're the squeaky wheel in the organization, right? They'll ladder it up to their bosses and do the introductions for you. It's really, really weird. I come from an enterprise background, right? So I'm used to shooting three pointers from way outside the arc. And when you get into a model that's more like this, it's not quite like you're just seven foot six standing under the basket doing layups, but it's not far off because the sales organization will lobby for you. And that makes the sales cycle, once you get into an active sales cycle, it makes it compressed. So your cost of acquisition mm. drops dramatically. I want to talk about the compression. I'm curious if you've always, you know, been a product-led organization of taking this approach, or you kind of evolve towards <laughs> it and be like, aha, like we're taking months to close deals. Like we got to do it differently. So I think that some of the stuff that we do made us believe that we were product-led in the beginning. Uh, we were giving it away for free, but we, I don't think we understood the, the motions of product-led growth as well as we do now. Uh, and I still think we have a long ways to go to master the art, but it is, it's an art, right? One thing that's really important in product-led growth is you're designing to solve user pain, but to a certain extent, you need to be selfish mm-hmm. in how you design it because you need to create virality. You need to create network effects. You need to create those superpowers that people are willing to pay for. And so you do, you cherry pick a little bit to try to figure out like how you're going to make all of that stuff happen. So yeah, I think that we thought we were... PLG in the beginning, but as we started to evolve more and more into it, and as we started sitting down with companies like OpenView that, that really helped shepherd us down the path a little bit further, we realized we weren't and, and had some work to do. So our, our 2019 was, was a transition from, I would say, a more traditional sales process that had a freemium right. edition product to a more PLG style motion, which involved more analytics, more metrics, more alerting, and more efforts at virality. I want to drive home that point. I think some people think, oh, we have a freemium product where product-led growth, but you're saying <laughs> you you really you really ate. Like, what do you say to those people? Yeah, totally what do you not. say to those people who are like, we're, we have freemium, we're product-led growth? I say, prove it. Show me that your product is going viral. Show me that your product is, is having a high level of conversion from free to mm-hmm. paid show me that you have the motions in place to analyze the data. It's you got to be way more data driven right. with, uh, with PLG than you do with uh, a standard sales motion, standard sales motion. You want to get people using the product, but all you're doing is putting the usage ahead of the paywall, right? right? That's not the mm-hmm. same as getting people addicted and driving them through the paywall. Mm. That's so good. That's the best way that I've heard it put. Uh, like that. I want. I actually want to take a step back and talk about that white glove experience. You talked mm. about customer success, like jumping in to really give 
people that experience when they're being onboarded. What does the handoff look like to the sales team? Like, does the sales rep and the customer success like kind of tag team that, or is it like do the customer success hand it off at some point? Yeah. So we will very intentionally get everybody in the business. Everybody in my company is involved in customer success. 5% of your role equals customer success. We do that because we feel like it helps you to understand the customer problems better. So if you're an engineer, you're on the front lines and you're talking to customers. If you're in finance, you're on the front lines, you're talking to customers. It will only help you to understand how the whole story comes together. But specific to sales and CS and how they work together, one of the things that's really important to us is that they almost aren't differentiated mm-hmm. during that white, white glove experience. Right. The white glove experience is designed to help us understand user problems, right? So it does matter that sales is involved in that because how they sell, the fundamentals of sales are built around that narrative that they're capturing. Um, and it's the same thing for customer success, right? So we almost don't differentiate in terms of who gets what at the very beginning. It's literally about bandwidth to a certain degree. But the role of customer success beyond that is demonstrably more important because we want to try to get more users within an organization, get them using more parts of the product and get them to have a, a less likely uh, level of churn or rate of churn, mm. right? And, or have negative churn, which is something that everybody should strive for in, in a PLG motion. Our growth rate within an account is astronomical because of it. And again, back to something I said earlier, our tech support load is next to nothing. Two tech support tickets a day across thousands and thousands of users is unheard of. And that's where we are. That's true. You build a good product and that's part of it, but you also teach people how to use the product. That's the other part of it. So their motivations are different. CS will be more motivated by ensuring lack of churn and optimizing growth post-sale and ensuring a sweet transition. And sales is all about capturing narrative. Mm, That's a good point that you made there. I want to talk a little bit, you know, it seems like Dooley has been on this journey of, you know, transitioning Mm. to product-led. I'm curious about the other side where like, you've tried something, the product-led tactic or anything like that, where it actually hasn't really worked or maybe the implementation or uh, the way that it has come through hasn't really worked for the team. Yeah. So some things that would surprise you, you have salespeople that are using our product every day, right? That's like our core market is people who earn their living by their performance, right? So your paycheck is predicated on your performance. So we thought, well, let's put in a referral program. Mm. That'll be a genius opportunity for us. And it is probably the most generous referral program on the planet. You know, we pay out, just for anybody listening, 20% of the lifetime value of the deal. Wow. (laughs) So you can make a shit ton of money. You could quit your job and make a living uh, on Dooley. But salespeople are, it almost feels like it's an integrity issue for them because they are so focused on selling what they are selling that they don't want to have a secondary thing that they're selling. Right. right? So yeah. what we thought was going to happen and it does happen. Like we still get people doing referral, but we thought it was going to be like, you know, dropping a bomb in the middle of the PLG world. It didn't work like that. It didn't have nearly the impact that we expected it to. We continue to experiment with it and tinker with it. But it's, again, I think that a salesperson is so preoccupied with what they are trying to sell that selling something off the side of their desk doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to them. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I want to start wrapping up. I have two final questions. The first one is for any organizations that are transitioning to product-led, maybe they're 
traditionally sales-led or they think they're product-led, but they aren't really. What would be your advice to those organizations? Make sure you're measuring lots and lots of things in your product so you can understand those true moments of truth. Make sure you're observing users and how they're using the product. Make sure you continue to focus on user pain. I think that there's an easy tendency to try to satisfy the person who writes the check, particularly when that person is different from the person who experiences mm, the pain. Right. And that's why we have things like Salesforce that are, you know, notionally pretty good pieces of technology, very powerful, you know, can connect everything to everything. Reporting is amazing, but a salesperson will not use it to save their life. <laughs> right. And so you got to continue to focus on those user pains and, mm. and focus on exceptional user experiences. You look at the the best products out there in the PLG space right now. You got Miro, you got Product Board, you've got Calendly, you got Expensify, you've got Zoom, and a whole series of others. Slack, obviously, they are targeting user pain and they're targeting delightful experience, and that largely is predicated on, you know, our preponderance of choices. Consumers now, our phone is a virtual shopping center of apps, mm. and the ones that suck, you get rid of real quick. The ones that are good, that have great humanized experiences, you keep. And then you come into your workspace and you go, really? You want me to use this? Because this is terrible, right? And so really, you got to go back to the exceptional user experience and as much as you possibly can. But measure everything, understand what the levers are, what people will pay for, what people won't. Do a lot of product research before you build things. Do a lot of product research after you build things. Mm. Great advice. Yeah, I hope people are listening <laughs> to this about, you know, specifically those tips. One final question. Uh, what would be your call to action now, you know, for people who want to try out Dooley? Where can people find that? And, you know, where can people find you online if they want to ask you any questions? Yeah, thank you. Um, so here's the plug. If you are interested in trying Dooley, go to dooley.ai, D-O-O-L-Y.ai. Again, insanely simple ways of updating and, and managing the administrative work that needs to be done, including getting everything over to Salesforce. If you want to follow me personally, and you might have to put this in words at the bottom, uh, LinkedIn, linkedin.ca or linkedin.com slash Chris Harvickson will take you to me. Um, I'm pretty active in my posts uh, on, on LinkedIn just to try to both keep the world a little bit lighter and happier these days, but also mm. to make sure that people understand some of the mechanics that are involved in sales. I come from an enterprise background and I can tell you that what we do now is so fundamentally different from that. So if you're looking for an interesting take, if you're looking for ideas on how to transition to a PLG motion, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. Ramley, thanks a lot for having me.